Okay, good morning again. Good afternoon. Um, man, y'all are smart. I was trying to get y'all. Um, glad we get to have another time to come back together. Uh, uh, this won't probably be that long of a lesson, but uh, hopefully it'll be an impactful lesson. Um, it will happen, happen to be a lot about Jesus again, um, and I'm thankful that uh, we get to really focus our lessons uh, all the time, but uh, I tried to focus uh, both of these lessons uh, about this time of year, usually what we're learning about anyways with the birth of Christ, but uh, you'll kind of catch on to what this is about uh, as we're going through. Now, during the holiday season, uh, if you're one of those last-minute shoppers, uh, you'll probably find yourself in a, a, a midst of people like this, or back in the day, Heather always talks about back in the day, now, that wasn't that far back, but back in the day, she used to go um, Black Friday shopping where you actually had to Black Friday shop where you were at the stores that you wanted to go to that night. You know, you'd see on the news people camping out to be able to get. Now you can Black Friday shop in July, um, which is kind of unfair, but this is what it used to look like, right? You were always going around. You couldn't find a place to get into a different store if you wanted to. Everything was just so packed. Uh, and it's just uh, fascinating this time of year on how uh, busy things become and how there's so often no place to find a way to walk. And so this morning we're going to be talking about uh, this particular passage, or this afternoon, um, we're going to be talking about this particular passage, uh, which is uh, where we go to to learn about the birth of Jesus. Um, in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, uh, we read, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be registered, that there would be a census taken is what he's saying. This was the first registration uh, when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David. Now, what's interesting about that, which is called Bethlehem, is that um, just a small historical uh, side note, uh, Bethlehem is actually south of Galilee. Now, the reason they say they went up from there is because Bethlehem would have been at a higher elevation than the Sea of Galilee region where they were living at the time, and so that's why they say that. Uh, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time for her to give the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. When you start to read about this, you start to think about how busy this town was at this time. You can watch movies depicting uh, event this event and uh, just know how busy things were going to be. People going back who had moved off, now they were having to go back to their hometown. Well, we find out there was no place uh, for Jesus, for Mary, for Joseph at that time. And that's where this lesson's going to be springboarding is how often there's no place in our lives for the Savior. Um, and we're going to talk about different characteristics 
uh, different traits that we sometimes have that causes there to be no place for the Savior in our life. Um, and we're going to be looking through different events pertaining to Jesus and see what caused people to not have a place for the Savior in their lives. Uh, number one, we notice in Matthew chapter 2, particularly in verses 13 through 15, but that entire passage was considered with this uh, lesson. If you will go to Matthew chapter 2, notice with me, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, in the day of in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now notice this, verse 3. When the king, King Herod, heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests, scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is for this is what is written, written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country. Now, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you why. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, prophet out of the Egypt I called my son. Now, what particular trait do we find in Herod? That's who we're going to be noticing produces this trait. But what particular trait do we find in Herod that didn't allow a place for the Savior to be in him? Now, what's fascinating is Herod, was the king of the Jews. He was supposed to be a really good Jew, right? Supposed to be one of the best Jews there is. Now, he also went to the people who knew all about the law. He went to the scribes and he t asked them, where was the Savior going to be born? Where was the Messiah to be born? And they said, well, Bethlehem, right? And so he has the information. He now knows that this king has been born. And he knows it was in the right uh, location to where uh, it would have been out of the line of David. But why could Herod not allow a place for the Savior to be in his heart? Because what was the Savior going to be? King. And that would have knocked two out of power. Herod. And so we have this idea of pride 
causing an issue to have Jesus as a place in Herod's heart. And to be honest, pride causes a lot of people to not allow a place for Jesus to be in their lives, right? Because we like our power. We like what we do. Uh, we like to be in control of our lives. And to then say, oh, I'm going to let Jesus lead my life, what do we have to do? Humble ourselves. And sometimes we don't like doing that. And because of that, we let pride get in the way and we cause there to be no place for the Savior in our lives. And so certainly we don't need to uh, allow pride to control our lives. So rather, uh, the opposite of that is to humble ourselves, right? Put ourselves below Christ, put ourselves below God, and let Him lead our lives. Um, and so we need to make sure we don't let pride get in the way. Next, notice with me in this account concerning Jesus. Uh, in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, we're going to focus particularly, and the lesson's going to come out of um, verses 3 through 6, but I want us to notice this passage. Jesus went from there and came into his own hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as they were performed by his hands. Watch this. Is this not the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, then the brother of James and Joseph and uh, Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense, or they took displeasure at him and Jesus said to them a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his own relatives in his own household and he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he wondered at their unbelief and he was going around the villages teaching isn't it amazing that Jesus comes into his own hometown and they are even astonished by how he's teaching Right. Uh, early on in the Gospel of Mark, you'll notice people were wondering, how is Jesus teaching with such authority? Right? He was teaching in a different way as one having authority that wasn't like what the scribes and Pharisees taught and how they taught. And so people knew who Jesus was and what he was teaching. But the problem is, is they found displeasure with him. They didn't. They took offense at him was the idea. Now, why did they take offense at him? Because they saw who he was, right? They saw that, hey, isn't this the guy that grew up in our area that is the son of this carpenter? How is he able to do these things? And so they found displeasure in him. And that's another trait or characteristic we could carry that could cause us to not have a place for the Savior in our lives. Well, how is that a trait that can cause uh, Jesus to have no place. Well, are there ever times in your life where you find Jesus and his teachings displeasing, right? What about going the, going the extra mile type of mindset? What about helping people or turning the other cheek or, or being someone who's meek or doing all of these different things? That can be displeasing to us, right? And, and so we don't want to do those things. Well, in that case, we find that uh, displeasure with the Savior. And we start to think to ourselves, why do I have to do exactly what he tells me, right? And, and again, we find displeasure in his teachings, and that can cause us to keep Jesus from helping 
run our lives pretty much. And our next trait uh, that we're going to have this afternoon is in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 uh, through 22. You'll notice in this particular passage, let me see if I can get to it really fast. Notice, <coughs> now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and allow the dead to bury the dead. And we talked about this uh, not long ago in a sermon. But the idea is our priorities can cause there not to be a place for the Savior in our lives. We talked about this in the teen class this morning on uh, we're going through monuments in the Old Testament and we're looking at big lessons talked about in those books of the Old Testament. And we got to Deuteronomy and really what Deuteronomy is, it's the second telling of the law. Well, why did Moses have to tell the law again? Well, an entire generation had been killed off in the uh, wandering of the wilderness because they were disobedient to God, and God did not want this generation to go into the promised land. That was a consequence of their disobedience. And so there's this second telling of the law in Deuteronomy. It's literally what that title means. And Moses is preaching to them about this law, but he's also making mention of this idea of you need to make sure you understand what's being said. Not only do you need to do that, in Deuteronomy 6, we call it the Shema, Right? They need to have these words on their heart. They need to have them always at their ready remembrance. But they also need to teach them. And they need to teach them to their children. Right? And they need to make sure that they're raising their family, understanding that God is a major, the priority of their life. And I was talking to them and I was asking them, I said, why do you think we're losing so many kids in the church? Now I'm asking the young people. And they said, well, families aren't making it a priority to help train their children. Now, I'm asking the young people that, and they're giving me that answer. And I was so uh, thankful that, because that's what the answer I was looking for. And I was like, yes. And I said, how often, how much time do we spend in actually studying? Not just in services, right? We spend three hours in services. But when you start to think of how often are we actually studying the Word of God in those services, right? Uh, if... I get long-winded, I may preach for 30 minutes, tops, right? And, and then during a Bible class time, we usually have prayer time and all of those different things. Um, so on a Sunday morning, we have about 35 minutes worth of a Bible class time. So that's 65 minutes. And then when you start to think about a Wednesday night Bible class, we may have about um, 35 to 40 minutes, let's say 40, uh, just to give us a little extra time because sometimes I run a little late. Um, and so we have about, what is that, 105 minutes a week to spend just in studying. Okay, 105 minutes a week. Now, I was asking them this morning, they go to school seven hours a day. Now, um, I'm thinking of West Blockton's uh, school schedule. The football players have an hour and a half or so uh, in fifth block where they don't do anything, uh, they work out, okay? And then they have about an hour for lunch. So let's say for about four to five hours, they're in school learning secular 
uh, knowledge. Now, they go to school five days a week. So let's just say on the lower end, four hours. They spend 20 hours a week learning about secular knowledge. Yet we give God a 105 minutes a week. We give God less than an hour and a half a week as our young people. So where does the learning have to happen? At home. Now, whose job is it to make that happen? God says plainly in the Old Testament, you parents need to do it. And so it's our parents. Now, what's it come down to? Priorities, right? Having the priorities at home to make sure we're trying to raise our children. And I told them, I'm not perfect at this. I didn't grow up with parents who had priorities to do this. And so it's always been a hard thing for me to relearn, all, not even relearn, to learn new all of this idea of doing Bible time at home, spending time training our children, and just doing that and getting into a routine, right? I love God. My wife loves God. But sometimes we just fall into this uh, trap of just wanting to go home and rest and chill, and we forget to, oh, we need to make sure we're raising our children and bringing them up in the Lord and training them at home. And, and so we always are constantly checking ourselves and checking our priorities to make sure we're putting Jesus in the middle of everything or at the front of everything. And so I, I want to encourage all of us as parents, and I even told the young people, hey, let's encourage our parents, let's encourage ourselves to want to make sure we put Jesus as the main priority in our daily schedules, right? And so that means doing everything we possibly can to learn more, to study more, to pray more, um, and to make sure we're focused on him more because that oftentimes, that trait right there is a struggle in our life to keep Jesus um, in our lives. And so we want to make sure we always uh, set our priorities first and, and develop your entire schedule around Jesus and God, and that way we can figure out everything in between. Uh, these are some of the traits we talked about. Um, pride, displeasure, and priorities, definitely things that can get in the way of having Jesus in our lives, and we want to make sure we don't allow that to happen. So always have a place for Jesus in your life. Humble yourselves. Find pleasure in Jesus and also make sure you prioritize him in everything you do. You may be here and you would like to ask for prayers. You weren't able to come this forward this morning, but now the, maybe the crowd's smaller and you don't mind coming forward. We'd love to pray with you. Or, or maybe um, you have another need you'd like to talk to me about afterwards. I'd love to talk with you or uh, whatever you may have as a need. Please come while we stand and sing the song of invitation.